This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Robbie. Hey, Ernie. How's your day going? Doing good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, sounds pretty good. I'm just not just okay. not at the same time. I uh, need to use the hands free. Hello, still there? Uh, yep, yep. And yeah, it sounds good. Still, or good. Yeah, that was the dial-in because I called in a bit early. I'm walking two dogs at the moment, so I have my hands full. Right. We've got a number of threads going on. Any idea where you'd like to start? Oh, whatever uh, it would be helpful for you with DBJ, I suppose. Let's go ahead with that stuff that's on your mind first. Well, let's start with the point you raised that I wanted to dwell on a bit, which was the uh, experiences you've been having with Mark Gustin's videos was making you question whether our current focus on feelings is appropriate or productive. Is that a fair summary of what you said? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm seeing that, the, at least in my own context, that the focus on how I'm feeling about things and trying to get that straightened out um, can be a counterproductive or distracting from um, more productive ways of trying to resolve conflicts. So interestingly, um, so can you give me a concrete example of what you mean by those words? Because I'm not sure you're talking about the same thing I'm talking about. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> I have to be careful not to get too personal here. Um, if it's helpful, I'm willing to like scrap this recording and just make this a private conversation if that will let us do more Yeah, okay, well, let's see where, where it goes then. Um, so um, there, well, there are certainly times where I felt like uh, she'd be happier if I just weren't in the picture or that uh, this is hopeless and there's, you know, I, there's nothing I can do that's ever going to make a difference or um, things probably many spouses feel at various times. Um, and uh, the, um, one of the things that at least in Mark's experience that uh, we tend to judge people uh, looking at their actions and ascribing whatever motive to us seems best to fit um, and to judge and evaluate and to get into feeling emotional feelings out of that that are not tied to the reality of what's actually going on inside of them. Um, partly we're different people and so we have different reasons for what we do. And if we don't recognize that, then we tend to turn uh, what he calls turn a head problem of a different way of looking at things into a problem of there's something wrong with them and their motives that's driving them to do that. Um, so that's part of it. There's another piece that flashed through my mind, but I've forgotten. Let me just start that because I feel like there's two or three different things tangled yeah. there that's worth disentangling. Right. So one is that some of the things, so let me be more precise. What I mean by it. Because my simple definition is a feeling of something that you can't change. If, if you're saying, I feel X, you can't exchange it with, I think X, and have that make sense. So like, I feel my marriage is hopeless is equivalent to, I think my marriage is hopeless. And by my definition, that doesn't count as a feeling. Okay. Right. So whereas like I feel despair, or I feel hopeless, those you can't say I think despair or I think hopeless. That doesn't really count as a feeling. Yeah. yeah. Those, those do count as feelings. Okay. Uh, those are right. so okay. So given that definition, I think what's interesting is what you're saying is okay, I see someone, I form a belief, and that belief leads to feelings. Um you know, to me, I was like, okay, well, the problem there isn't the feelings. The problem there is the beliefs, right? Yeah, sure. Yep, I fully agree with you right. on that. And, 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 yeah, and so I think actually 
I would agree with him is like, okay, if we take our feelings at face value and do not engage with them to understand the beliefs behind them, that would be foolish. Right. Right. And I think, but I think Mark himself would agree that, well, the point is, is that you shouldn't trust your feelings, but neither should you trust your logic. Right. Yeah. Well, my logic yeah. says the only reason they would do this is it's like, well, okay. <laughs> right. right. So it's not like, so the dichotomy, between, this was a, a common, um, really enlightenment era, uh, uh, belief that you know, I know in the eighties, it was kind of the Jim Dobson emotions. Can you trust them? Well, like, yes, you can trust emotions, but neither can you trust logic <laughs> or really anything else. And so it's kind of a straw man. Uh, and it's often used, uh, in the context of men saying, well, that's just your feeling. Uh, and as an excuse to dismiss emotions, right, which I think right. either slavishly obeying emotions, taking them at face value, or callously dismissing them seems to be, neither of those seem to be particularly wise or productive ways forward. Yeah, and I want to distinguish between uh, what Mark actually says and the thoughts that I'm having reflecting on them. Uh, right. But Mark, one of the things he says is, so there's no domain of life where we succeed by pursuing our feelings. Um, uh, we, you know, we achieve at work by working whether we feel like it or not. We achieve at studies by studying whether we feel like it or not, et cetera. And, uh, to, oh, yeah. and we get back to not worrying how we feel about whether we feel like it or not. Oh, I mean, I, well, I mean, yeah. Like, yes, that's true in a narrow context. Right, but to you know, like like many things Mark says, like they're kind of true, but if you take them as absolute statements, you end up with some very uh, 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 odd feel, odd things. Like yeah, in that context, true. But like, does anyone become a musician because they thought this made a lot of sense? And is it really true that it's better to marry someone because of money and sex, not because of love? I mean, at some point, like, is that why Christ loved the, is this Christ loved the church because of money and sex? That doesn't seem to quite fit uh, his understanding or ours, right? So I think the yeah, point is, is that momentary feelings uh, right. is like, yes, of course there are times you need to power through and ignore your feelings. Okay, that is a very useful factor, right? Right. But the, to say that, well, therefore, feelings don't matter, I think is to miss the point. Yeah, I don't. He's not saying feelings don't matter, but he's saying that we need I mean, to be, yeah. not to be guided by and act out and uh, assume that our feelings should control what we do. So he's right. not saying that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right, and, and exactly. And in fact, that is, that is my point. The whole reason we're doing this in DBJ is not to say, well, let's figure what our feelings are and just do what we feel. It's in fact precisely the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like the whole point of this is to like look at our feelings and say, oh, I this is not absolute truth. This is not a statement of objective reality. This is a feeling that I have, which is a uh -huh. thing that uh, you know, like one of the things I'm really working hard on is trying to choose. Like we talk about like the I feel X. Um, I I also trying to find. Um, uh, ways to say uh, things that I feel that do not also work as I am. So to say I feel angry is is equivalent. You can also is equivalent in English to saying I am angry. But to uh -huh. say I feel anger is is different than saying I am angry. Yep. Okay. I mean, you would say that, but only poetically. It's like, okay, oh, what's the difference there? Well, the difference there is that in um is that the, 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 the sort of adjective of angry uh, can become a state of being. And in fact, the reality is, is that sometimes when you feel that, you actually do become <laughs> angry, right? It defines your identity. Right. Uh, whereas right. when I say I feel anger, it's a noun. It's a thing uh -huh. that I have. It is not a thing that describes me. And I've created right. some emotional, psychological distance between that. And it's yeah. like, ah, okay, so, 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 so precisely what I am doing is, I think, Mark would agree with, at least in principle, which is that, yes, 
you want to look at these emotions and then say, uh, oh, okay, this is a thing. It is not, it is a thing that is not me. Right. So I think those part two are just the tricks. Part of what he's looking at uh, is. Clarify that. Oh, sorry. I missed the last part of what you said. No, I just said, like, so this, this is helpful to have we have sort of two linguistic tricks we can use to clarify what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I'm uh, advocating, and it, it appears correct to me, that uh, the over-romanticization uh, of marriage has carried us into expectations which influence our emotions through their disappointment of unrealism or unrealistic expectations that our culture um, pours into marriage. Also, seven, uh, I, if you marry, you will have trouble, and I want to spare you this. That's a biblical assessment of what marriage is, but many people... Whoa, 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 whoa. slow down. Yes. Uh, So a biblical assessment of what marriage is, is again, one of these I am identity statements, which may be overstating it a little bit. Yeah, so that's not all the... Actually, no, precisely, yes. It is is an aspect of marriage. Aspect of marriage that trouble trouble is... Yeah. Sure, okay, fair enough, right? Um, And people who enter with an expectation that marriage is bliss then end up with emotions relating to that uh, failure or the the uh, uh, expectations that aren't properly adjusted. Sure, and while that's all true, I think that's, I, I I would like to point out this is not so much a biblical critique. The, the thing about the over romanticization of marriage is not right. so much a biblical critique as it is a cultural critique. Yes, yes, there's a... Right, and, uh, and being bicultural, I am highly suspicious of cultural critiques masquerading as biblical critiques. Because okay. I get those all the time, right? Like all these things that people say is wrong with Western culture, you know, are exactly the same thing that traditional people say is wrong with Western culture, right? And we've gone through this whole weird thing where it's like, okay, just because it's not traditional uh is not mean is not the same thing wrong anymore this other way around right is that like say okay yes that is a cultural bias we have but that doesn't yep. mean that the alternative is godly <laughs> and so uh yeah and so to me and actually this is where the whole thing about christ and the gospel come into me it's okay. like okay yeah marriage is hard um that's good that's why it is a great proving ground to learning how to love like jesus and yes, if you go yes. into it thinking anything else other than this is where I'm learning to die to myself so I can love like Jesus, you will be disappointed. Full stop. Right. Right. right? And yep. the, um, the meta narrative going on here between me and you is one that I did not think that this test with uh, Mark would address. Uh, but that was one of the reasons I reacted to your suggestion that I take his test because like, is that if I had uh, a, um, if I had one, if I had one new disciple making, I say, I probably do have, I probably do have one idea for every, but the, the number of times you have said to me, Hey, I have this amazing idea, uh, or I just learned this amazing thing that's really helped me the last few months that's made a huge impact on my marriage. Right. Uh-huh. If I stacked them all together, I would have expected that you would have an amazing marriage by now. Uh-huh. And I see that you've definitely made some significant steps forward. Um, but it is not clear to me that any one of those steps really lived up to the hype. Uh-huh. And so the fact that this is your next step, uh, I have a bit of an allergic reaction to. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. And I think to me, the interesting question is, uh, this gets back to the same point you made last time, you kept talking about how you're not trying to uh, seek to imply principles, but you're just trying to listen to Jesus and do what he says. Uh-huh. But that was starting to feel to me like just another principle that you were using as kind of a, 
this is an ungenerous term, but at least it's a precise one to describe what I'm feeling, and feel free to react yeah. or, or push back on it, is as a mental crutch. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. As a, one, one of the things I've listened to Mark push back on is people just waiting on God to give them guidance, where in context where God has said, you, you mankind, you person, have free will. And uh, I'm not making the choice for you. I'm giving you a choice. Uh, so for example, the woman who's writes in and said her husband has been having an affair and uh, she's wondering whether she should move on or pray for, you know, hold on to God's desire, God's will for the marriage to be restored. And uh, Mark refuses to, you know, make a decision for her. And he says, God's not going to make a decision for you. You have a choice. You can wait it out and hang on to God, believing that this is what he wants. Um, but uh, he also uh, applies this to single people who are waiting for God to provide the right person. And says, you know, throughout scripture, we don't find God telling anybody who to marry. Uh, he says marriage is a good thing. No. But it's difficult. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Although, although you certainly have cases of, of God telling people uh, things about marriage. But anyway, yeah, the problem I always have with these things is that, like, taking a argument from absence and then making an absolute statement about it always yeah. kind of rubs me the wrong way. Right. I uh, mean, it's certainly fair to say, yeah. you know, like, you know, we don't see a lot of evidence for this in scripture. So I would right. encourage you to be careful about doing that. But to yeah. say that, like, you know, I can think of a lot of people that if they had waited on God instead of just making a decision on their own, their lives would be so much better. <laughs> right. In well, fact, one of the primary lessons I'm working with was this issue around how do I deal with my wife's discomfort? Uh -huh. And, you know, to say, well, there's clearly no biblical precedence for this, so therefore I should just do whatever makes sense to me rather than waiting on God is kind of how I ended up in this trouble that I'm in now. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, there is a failure mode of using, we call it analysis paralysis in the business world, right? Where you're so eager to get all the right data, uh, that that's really covering a fear of making a decision. Well, and so that is it, a failure mode. Yeah. And Mark, uh, the point I was, the thought I was making was that yeah. Mark has helped me see that um, waiting on God can be a form of avoidance of making a decision that God's given to me to make. And that right. I need, doesn't mean I should never wait on God, but that I should, you know, examine my own heart as well as ask him, is this something that uh, I should, I'm, I'm not wanting to make the decision because I don't want the responsibility for the outcome or whatever. Um, back back to your point about if people had waited for God's guidance, they could have done a lot better in marriage. Uh, Mark would say that's commonly because we're uh, thinking we're pursuing our feelings, and that's where he gets into this. You don't pursue your feelings to become effective in you know other spheres of life. Don't uh, don't abandon reason when you're evaluating who you're going to marry. Don't just follow your heart. Like, but, like the whole point is, this is like a false dichotomy. This is a yeah. silly argument to be having, right? This uh -huh. is all but like, okay, like, no, like, it is possible to make bad decisions by being too spiritual. It's possible to make bad decisions by being too rational. It's possible to make bad decisions by being too emotional, right? Yeah, yeah. But occasionally you make incredibly good decisions by being extreme in one of those dimensions as well. Right, okay. Right? And so it's like, well, okay, what's the lesson here? The lesson here is. Uh, so there's actually two questions, things I often wrestle with. One is, is, it challenge, is my problem here a problem of bias? And that I tend to weight one way more than the other, and therefore I end up using it where it's inappropriate. Or I'm right. always making this kind of problem because I'm always overthinking things, for example. Or I'm always right. acting on impulse or whatever. Like, okay, that's one category. The other category, which is the harder one that no one seems to want to talk about, is that actually my bias is roughly right. I just have poor judgment. Like, I'm making roughly the same amount of mistakes on both sides of the line. Okay. So it's not like I'm biased, like I'm being too rational. So it's like, no, actually, I just have poor judgment. <laughs> it's it's the, the binary dualistic uh, things about using.
using reason versus feeling versus trusting God or whatever, it's like, well, they kind of skip over that whole, they sort of deny the existence of that category of problems. It's, well, if you just got your bias right, you're not making it too much this way, then that's really something you need. Like, okay, for some people, that is absolutely the thing they need, right? For some people, it actually confirms them in their worst aspects of their behavior. And other people, it's just completely useless because, like, okay, I've gotten the point of balance. I'm just, I just make equal numbers of bad decisions in either direction. So now, what do I do? So, um, the uh, 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 quality has gotten a little garbled, and I'm not sure I'm picking up quite enough words to make sense of what you said. Um, so I understood uh, that you can make decisions by um, prayer, by reasoning, by emotion. Any of those can turn out badly or, or well. Um, you want to uh, try and keep balance. I think you were advocating balance, but then they kind of got garbled and I couldn't follow the rest. Yeah, so I think there's two different uh if i can switch to mathematical terms is okay. like if your errors are all skewed one way or the other then yeah. you need to adjust your bias the mean of the distribution right. yeah. so it's in a place but then once you're there you would also like to reduce the variation so i'm not uh -huh. just making bad decisions of both of both at both extremes that right. on average would have been correct it's like okay but i'm actually making the right decision yeah and that so, is actually the question. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry to, I, I'd say I quote Mark so much, but I, I just I stirred a lot of thinking. He, uh, yeah, he, sure. he advocates that uh, in James, it says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him uh, ask of God. Seriously. And he, um, he, he distinguishes wisdom from guidance where we're asking commonly for guidance, God, just tell me what to do, rather than wisdom to make a good choice. And uh, that difference of emphasis has been stirring in my mind. I'm not sure quite how I feel about it. Uh, no, I just, uh, yeah. I, I, I haven't explored it very far, but it's gotten me thinking about that difference. I mean, that's a useful distinction. Um, but, you know, and I can imagine many contexts where it's useful, but like, I think there are, you see lots of examples in the script where people are asking for wisdom and a lot of places where they're actually asking for guidance, right? Yep. Like, so both happen. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, terminology, it's like, so, okay, um, you know, whenever I see preachers taking positions on this, what I'm hearing is that, okay, in the context I operate in, I see failure modes like this as being really common. So my job is to try to yank the bias points back to a more healthy middle it's like okay right. that is a useful thing for someone to do you know yep. like that, and okay that's actually not my fundamental critique that's just sort of a mild annoyance right um, my fundamental critique with the you know narrow snapshot i have of mark right is that all of this sounds like the law uh, so this is the thing I, you should do. Do this and you shall live. Okay, okay. So um, he does talk about relational laws like laws of gravity. Um, mm -hmm. That if you do yeah. this, this is the way things work. But that's different from you should do this. I mean, it leads to there are things you should probably do. Like you should probably listen to your family and friends and what they think of the guy that you're dating. Um, that's yeah. a, I would say he thinks it's a, a good idea and there's a should from that. Um, but yeah, okay. So I'm not sure what. Yeah, but, like, 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 but, but then, like, that is law, right? Like, the, like, and the law is good, right? The law uh -huh. is useful. Uh, as right. I keep saying, we cannot live without the law. The problem is, is that the law always, always, always leads to death, right? If Paul taught us nothing else, hopefully he taught us that. And. Uh -huh. So the question is that, like, okay, like, law is a good thing when you're starting out in particular, when you are clueless, but we can't, we dare not, and we need to know the law and be aware of the law to save us from needless harm, but we should never think that the law will give us life. That's my fundamental critique of uh, a lot of what passes for truth in Christianity. It's like, okay, yeah, that's true, but it's still just the law. 
But right. for one thing to know that, yes, this is my wife and I should understand her. Um, but like, this is not a problem that can be solved intrinsically by greater information. This is a problem of my heart and my sin that I need to repent of that only Christ can deliver me from. That to yeah. me is the gospel. Right. Okay. So, and like, uh, like, so yeah. And, and this is, uh, uh, give me a moment here. Cause this is the emotional reactive thing here, which is something that I'm still oh, lack sufficient okay. grace for, but I'm working through. Here, go ahead. Right. Is the fact that there are so many quote unquote ministers of the gospel who are really preachers of the law. And uh -huh. this is still a sore point for me. Yeah. Um, Yeah, which I think was part of the thing that came up yesterday during our DBJ session. So this is timely. So um, how can I help you process what you were just feeling? And how does this relate to yesterday? Um, so I don't know. Um, we could either do some silence or you could share. Why don't you share what you are feeling at this moment? That would help me. Hmm. Um, well, uh, under, underneath everything, I'm feeling a lot of peace these days. Um, I, I don't know. So let's see. And that, uh, see, I'm trying to remember your distinction between, okay, I'm not thinking peace. I'm feeling peace, I guess. So that qualifies. Yeah, I think that, that works, right? You, you feel peace. You don't, you don't think peace. It's not that you are peace, but you feel peace. Good. Okay. Yeah. You've identified Although, a valid feeling by these rules. Even when I say that, I'm intrigued by the idea. Can you think peace? Because I'm, I, I, I feel I have to experience something I'm experiencing in a in a deeper, newer, new way that uh, I haven't in the past. So that's good, um, and it seems to flow over into my thinking. Uh, my thinking is at a different. Uh, and there's some different quality in my thinking these days as well. So that's all good. Um, the, uh, I, I um, think or feel, so this is a, a, not a pure feeling, uh, that you're, uh, assessing Mark without really hearing, uh, his heart or his, you know, that you're projecting maybe, um, uh, expectations or assumptions on him, uh, based on my, um fragmented communication or representation that i i i suspect would not i i would hope anyway that you'd have a different experience if you were encountering your stuff directly but maybe you'd feel exactly the same way so um i there's a there i have a a longing or a feeling to uh be able to discuss with you what you see in him rather than what you hear from me about him. Um, but I appreciate your honesty about the sense that I oversell things and then, uh, you know, they don't live up and it's not worth bothering to look at. Um, so I guess that that's what swirls through my mind when you ask about my feelings. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And um, I hear a tinge of sadness because this is something you're excited about, you find valuable, and you feel like I'm um, 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 resisting that engagement. I think that's, that's, a, that's a fair point. I think there is a thing that, so this is the thing that you know, came up within me yesterday during the DBJ session was in dealing with you know a people a specific person who I felt was like telling me things um basically they were using the law right they were being like the Pharisees like this is the law and like Jesus said it really clearly like they're sitting in the seat of Moses this is the law this is true this is good you should do it okay but don't do what they do and the thing that so you're you're talking about you're talking about you're you're talking about the actual verse or some uh, interaction somebody else in the group pushed on you? Not, not something oh, in the group, you know, this is the, this, this is the, the uh, this is relating to different people in my life, specifically authority figures. Okay, outside who of tell the, me things, yeah, yeah, 
but it, it definitely touches the same nerve. Uh, and yeah. the thing that I realized is that when I go to someone for help and they give me the law, it feels uh -huh. exactly like that in um, that phrase of like, they lay heavy burdens on your shoulder and do not lift a finger to help you. Right, right. You know, and you know, the, um, and you know, the, the thing that's frustrating for me, and frankly, I'm, I guess, still mildly ticked off about it and have, I don't yet have grace for this, right? Because, you know, the, the way I can tell that I'm ticked off is that I want to respond in the exact same way. Well, how dare you tell me to obey this law because you're not obeying this law and therefore I invalidate you by pointing out the law that you're doing and then I'm doing the exact same thing that they do, right? So like, right. Where he says, don't do what they do. There's a, there's a wonderful, uh, uh, um, at least the part that I get hoisted on, which is that um, that in, as a matter of self-defense or self-definition, I find myself reacting to people that are that are being ungraciously applying the law by myself ungraciously applying the law. Uh -huh. And what I realized yesterday was the, the 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 labeling. So one thing that really helps me, and it's something that I work hard to do but I don't know if it's something that is useful for other people because it's not necessarily a simple skill that I can tell people to just do it, is, uh -huh. is naming things. So I realized the thing that frustrated me is I felt like they see the situation, they feel bad about it, and so they dump the law on me and say, well, if you just did this, your problems would go away. And, uh -huh. like, and if you can't do it, well, tough. If, if you're, you're, you're being stubborn or rebellious or whatever, and then that's your own fault because you're not obeying the law. Okay. And, you know, and the thing about that is that it's, it's like a half truth, but it's also a, um, I mean, but like, this is my whole problem with the law. It was the law was like, I need help. Like, if I knew how to do this, I would do it. I would like to do it, but I can't. Right? This yeah. is the body of death that I'm stuck with. It's like, if you know a better way, show me. And if and the subtext being, if you don't, then shut up and stop guilting me out for things that you refuse to do yourself, um, which is not a gracious response on my part. But that's, you know, the thing that I had to realize was that is that uh, what I felt like was or the the, the understanding, if I'm trying more precise in my language, is that um, they, uh, the, you know, the framing of the relationship, in one case, this literally is a counselor, is I'm coming to you because I'm struggling and I want your help. And I mm -hmm. feel like they, 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 they get to a certain point and then they say, well, no, you just got to do this because they don't want to deal with their inability to help me. And so they are uh -huh. sacrificing me, making me the sacrifice for their sins. Uh -huh. And that's why the phrase shameful sacrifice uh, spoke to me so powerfully. One that described exactly how I feel is that they mm -hmm. are so full of shame. They have to sacrifice me rather than helping me. But also once I did that, I realized, oh, that is precisely what Jesus goaded the Pharisees into doing to him, is to make him their, uh, the sacrifice for their shame and for their sins and for all of ours. And it's like, oh, so that is the way of cross. It's like, okay, yes, it is. But once I realize that, then I can see Jesus in it. And then I can say, okay, this is no longer their problem or my problem with them. This is my problem with Jesus. Do I really believe in his sacrifice for me? Am I really willing to sacrifice myself for others the way he sacrificed himself for me? And if I can, and where I've been able to get through that, I'm not quite near that on this issue, but I've gotten past it in other issues with other relationships. I say, okay, now I see that their shame and their pain is actually worse than mine. And therefore, rather resent, than resenting them for doing this to me, I can feel compassion for them. I have comprehension. Right. Uh, and then I can start to, I start to ask the question, I stop asking the question, what is wrong with them? And I start asking the question, how do I be Christ to them in this situation? Uh -huh. um, especially if that includes submitting to the shameful sacrifice. Because the other thing I realized, and this gets back to this issue of evil and fears and stuff we talked about before. Um, I've been listening to these wonderful podcasts by Daryl Davis. Have I told you about this guy? Jazz, black jazz musician that sort of accidentally deconverted hundreds of, of white supremacists. Uh, um, 
purely by being curious and talking to them and building friendships. Uh-huh. Uh, really crazy stories. And the thing that struck me is that uh, one, one of them actually spoke during a Veritas forum, one of the, uh, the guy who used to literally be the head of the American Nazi Party. Uh-huh. And he talked about how they loved it when people would come up and fight them. And their worst rally was something where nobody showed up and there was no conflict and no media coverage. And it was like, oh, that sucks. I'm never going to do this again. And it's right. like, um, and then the second thing is that, is that when Daryl Davis just sat down and talked to him and heard his story and like would disagree with parts of it, but he like respected him as a human being, it like, it fundamentally transformed this whole concept of himself because, you know, he was doing this because he felt devalued. And yeah. paradoxically, when people fight you, that helps you feel valuable, right? Because uh, you, we, we get full of ourselves when we're fighting against somebody else. Right. Um, that is why fighting is so exciting, especially the adolescent male. Um, but the, the flip side of that is that locks us into a very narrow identity. Right. And when someone engages, you so, uh, you know, ignoring can weaken it. But if you actually engage with them in the opposite way, where you surrender rather than fighting and, you know, the difference between compliance and surrender, that's, I think maybe like, there may be a better word for it, but at least that works now. Like if I just comply with what uh, a shameful burden someone puts on me, I feel self-shamed and they feel puffed up and that, you know, doesn't actually help the situation. But if I voluntarily surrender, does a completely different dynamic where they see that it's not that they have made me lesser, but in some sense that I have, um, if, if I let someone shame me into compliance, it's as if they have co- comprehended me, they've seen my weakness and they've exploited and achieved their goal. Um, and I feel lesser. But if I can see them and I can see Christ through them and beyond them, then when I surrender to them, I become bigger and it changes things fundamentally. Um, I don't have any better languages for that, but I'm, I'm convinced that that is the thing that actually creates change. Oh, I think you. Through the fence. Yeah, yeah. Side of my dog's lack of self is that he, when he feels threatened, he has to act out in very large loud and obnoxious ways to restore his sense of equilibrium whereas the puppy uh, has learned that when the big dog when the younger dog the older dog barks even though he's quite a bit smaller he just rolls down and accepts that and it occasionally has sparked some debate about whether this is healthy or not but in some ways he kind of is proving that he's the bigger dog (laughs) that he can take it um i'm not sure if that's true or not but anyway um this is the issue that I am processing through. And to me, this is like seeing Christ and being Christ is confronting uh-huh. this uh, limit of myself and pre- at precisely the point where, um, you know, like the thing that struck me yesterday was that when you made that comment that, that, that where Jesus said, I, you know, do everything they tell you to do, that you were yeah. kind of scandalized by that statement. And that was really helpful for me, for you to articulate that emotional reaction. Uh Because it made me take a chance and say, oh, yeah, I had kind of glossed over that. But now that I look at it, that really is obnoxious. Yeah. But rather than taking the easy way out of saying, well, okay, this is always the problem I have with liberalism, is that like, well, if it doesn't make sense, just erase it from the Bible. You don't have to deal with it. It's like, (laughs) you miss all the interesting parts that way. Um, Yeah. and it's like, okay, this is, and this is where the, the, um, the SCAR protocol uh, that I sent out to say, the idea that it's like, it feels like there, it's like find the part, and the one thing I really took from yesterday that I didn't like, but I thought was true, is that I shouldn't frame this purely in the negative, as in where's the pain, what's the negative thing you're running away from. There is also this space for what is the, what is the good, the, be- the beautiful that you want to run towards. And yeah. uh, so, but the way I framed it was like, find something that you resonate with or react to in the passage, uh, and then yeah. focus in on that, and then focus in on your feelings, and then ask Jesus what's going on, and seek right. grace there. And to me, yeah. that, is the, that is where we actually do the hard work of growing more like Jesus. 
is uh-huh. in working through precisely those points of friction and pain where uh, his spirit is um, bringing up stuff that I would rather not deal with. Although I, I want to leave space for like the converse is actually, uh, I, there was this wonderful quote uh, uh, a Catholic abbot sent to me, which he even got wrong, where it said, uh-huh. is like, he said, like, let's just talk about how the only path is through brokenness and pain. But the quote he said actually said, actually, brokenness and pain is not the only path. There is also wonder. And so uh-huh. there is a way to follow Jesus based on wonder. Uh, I still think uh-huh. there's a cross somewhere, but I don't want to diminish the value and importance of wonder and maybe even the supremacy of it is to see uh-huh. something beautiful and good in Jesus, like uh, Brent was sharing yesterday. It's like, okay, that in itself is worthwhile, is to see this beautiful thing and then, you know, you know, letting go of everything to go follow that. That is absolutely critical to following Jesus. Um, right. And, you know, leave space for that. But, you know, the, um, and in some sense, that is the, um, the joy that is set before us, right? And yeah. in some ways, who knows, God only knows how much joy we need to be able to endure any, any given cross. Um, and, you know, that's, um, that's up to God, uh, you know, how much crosses we need for any given amount of joy. So, yeah. so anyway, that's the, um, that's the gospel I want to live out. And I guess that's the other thing that I definitely feel like I think is central to DBJ. And it'd be good if we were of the same mind about this, or if not, that we worked through whatever the tension was. It's like, to me, the, the most important thing we can give people is Christ. Is that they get a chance to see Christ, that they see Christ in us, and they get a chance to be Christ and practice what it means to be Christ to each other. That is the thing I want to see happen in DBJ, and that's the thing I want to make sure that we are optimizing for. Right. So to uh, to see Christ in us and to be Christ to one another. Yeah, well, to see Christ through us. Through us, right? okay. Right, right. So that could be what they see each of us doing, what they see through the format, what they see through scripture and just creating that space, like whatever. That uh-huh. as the people who are hosting this event or create, who have created this context, but through that and us in whatever scalable or non-scalable ways, they are seeing Jesus. They are seeing Christ. Okay. Uh, and then, then they are practicing what it means to be Christ. Right. And the hypothesis that I'm playing with. Uh, you know, these last few iterations of DBG Agony is that um, I guess the current version of it is that by pay, that, you know, there's lots of ideas and principles and background and context in scripture, but that's not the focus. The focus is when you see Christ in scripture, those yeah. things that trigger you in either a good way or a bad way are signposts right. of where, where there's something about Jesus you haven't seen before uh-huh. and to be able to see it in a way that you can process it is how you grow as a Christian. Yeah. So what's the place of, uh, feelings in that? Uh, you know, I kind of, I think I kind of led the way of bringing an emphasis on identifying feelings out of, uh, some of the stuff I was reading from Gary Sweeten about, uh, how that, plays a role in developing our uh, human relationships. Right. So in this context, I mean, you know, in this world, uh, surprise is a feeling, uh-huh. right? Uh, and the, the, the point is, is that, you know, we can think about this from a information theory perspective. Emotion is how we filter the infinite amount of information passing through our brain. Right. In any given context, there's all this visual, all this auditory, all this information going through there. We don't pay attention to all of it. It would, it would we would go numb, right? Mm-hmm. And so we filter it according to our emotional weight we put on things. This is the face of a loved one. This is a threat. This is novel. And so emotions are the way 
that we um, filter perceptions. And so the idea is that if you want to find some, and so my premise is that the things that we already know about God, the comfortable, the familiar, the things that we can talk about with no emotional weight are unlikely to be the things that will help us grow closer to Jesus. Whereas the okay. things that are surprising or novel or disturbing, those are far more likely to contain something that will deepen and enrich uh, our experience of Jesus. So that's the mm -hmm. reason to focus on emotions. And in my case, at least, and I don't know how Universal was going to have to iterate it a few times, it's precisely those things that are the most disturbing emotions that represent the parts of myself that um, are either uh, angry at Jesus or angry at myself or angry at others um, or you know, afraid or whatever. Right? They're, they're, that the strong emotion, the unexpected emotion or the strong emotion is where I feel like there's powerful revelation. The more powerful the emotion, the more powerful the revelation underneath is kind of the, 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 the premise. Hmm. Okay. Uh, whether it's, you know, and, and I want to try to be more symmetric about this. Like it could be something really beautiful, like for someone who's never heard that they're forgiven to see Jesus right. forgiven, that could blow them away. That would be transformational yeah. for them. Right. Yep. And conversely, uh, so either way, um, but like uh, increasing our intellectual understanding of the parts of Jesus we're already comfortable with, uh, there is some value in that, but that's what the rest of the world is doing. And I have no interest in competing along that dimension. I'm sorry, what's the rest of the world doing? Yeah, the know. rest of the church is mostly having intellectual discussions around wow. the parts of Jesus they're already comfortable with. Yes, yes, yeah. And so I guess in some sense, the primal emotion I'm going for is surprise. Okay. It's like, huh, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect this to bother me. I didn't expect this to delight me. There's something going on here. Yeah. Um, although, you know, there's people who uh, react even to that. But, um, yeah. So I've, I've, um, but yeah, you know, I, yeah. So I picked up the uh, and again reading Gary Sweden's apples of gold or no listening for heaven's sake. Uh, the suggestion when you're engaging with somebody at a relational level to reflect back. It sounds like you feel this way about that circumstance you were just describing. And whether they were um, explicit about an emotion or not, kind of putting an emotion on what you think you're hearing as a way of inviting them to correct or expand or, um, you know, confirm um, is a, is seems to be to me still to be a, a strong tool for relationship in a, at a level that I've generally been poor at and I, I think I can improve. My experience though in trying this out in various group contexts is that that may be much more something that relates to me than something that's a general thing. So I'm I'm helping to lead a group that's forming on Thursday evenings. And uh I tried incorporating that practice. We went around and you know did a little sharing at the beginning last time. And I remember you saying something about uh, Apple's motto or, or philosophy that uh, get it to feel right first and then, you know, figure out why it feels right or something. And it just didn't yeah, work on the feel, feel of it before the think of it. Yeah. 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 And it didn't, it didn't feel like it was life giving to the group. So I'm inclined to withdraw that and, you know, try some other things. Um, yeah, I it, think part it, of that, it, I suspect, is also the framing of the group and why people are coming. Yeah, right? yeah, well. One of the reasons we, why we're in this iterative process. Uh, but yeah. in, in our group, sharing support and encouragement is one of five or six, you know, values that we listed out the previous week. And so it seemed like it was a fit. Um, and yeah. I, you know, but it felt a little contrived or forced or, you know, awkward. And maybe it's just because that's the when I introduce things, I'm unnatural and, and, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but I, I felt, I felt something of the same yesterday with uh, trying to then filter the, what we got through the scripture, through that uh, framework of the emotions. If it had for me a similar feeling of feeling a little bit contrived and awkward, you know, the, 
Um, so uh, I don't know where to go yeah. with that. Exactly. I, I don't want. Yeah, I no, I, 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 I agree. It, it felt the same way. Like, but I, this is a good feeling, right? This is this is the point. Yeah. It's like, okay, I want to regard that feeling. I don't want to ignore it, and I don't want to idolize it. I want yeah. to process it. I think, like, okay, so I had done this in ways uh, where it did go more smoothly. I think I uh-huh. did it in the last DBJ, the last paid DBJ. I think I had an emotion wheel in that one, and there I felt like it worked. Yeah. And so I think there is a oh, just my, my my other debriefing on that is like I for me I didn't feel a lot of benefit to the way that you had us walk through the verses. I can imagine this group where it did work for us, but to uh-huh. me I felt like we were it was so short, and yep. you know I felt like we didn't really uh, do anything new. Uh, I felt like if we had just done the way we did before, like read the whole thing and then just meditate on it and then just share. I feel like yeah. we would have gotten it at least as much. And also I think that the thing that I realized is that, especially with this group, uh, is that if we don't have a structure, it turns into a discussion. And it's like, uh-huh. I don't want a discussion, I want a reflection, right? Because discussions tend to normalize and converge, whereas reflections tend to rip off in different dimensions uh, where uh-huh. I'm trying to focus on what I'm feeling and thinking. So um, at least in, unless there's something I'm missing, it, it didn't seem like this was for these micro passages uh, I, I didn't see the benefit, but I'm willing to, to like try it again some other time in some other context if you think there's something I, I could have seen that I didn't. Oh, well, you know, I, I, it was how I wanted to try it at the moment that you invited me. I didn't even, uh, I only read your thing an hour before and realized that you were asking me to uh, lead through that. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm experimenting myself. I didn't feel like it went right. badly. I didn't feel like it was yeah. better you know, something else. But I, I, you know, if, if you ask me to lead, I might do the same thing again. Uh, if you yeah. want to lead it in a way, I'm, for, I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I thought about though, uh, the one uh, that I thought would be some structure around was then you kind of like change the format around where you wanted to pray <laughs> or ask the questions. Or, and like by itself, I thought it was good. It also led to sort of a dissolution of the format and we kind of ended up in a little bit of a chaotic state. And, but I thought of a good trick for that would be to have the idea of did. It's like our usual process is to pitch it around so that everyone gets a turn to speak and everyone gets a turn to be prayed for. But if you right. hear something that really grabs your attention, uh, you can just say did. Like I call did like I would like to share first or I'd like to pray for this person. Yeah, and yeah. then you get to take your turn early, but then we go back to the format. So that way, because you know, if it's purely, uh, and did felt like the right word to capture that kind of a request. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. want to try to work that idea of dibs in as a future thing. Um, that was the, um, those were a couple of things. Yeah, the, um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there are any other format issues. There, there was a lot of chaos and uncomfortableness there. And that's why I'm thinking more about, um, like in the, the SCAR version, Right, you select a passage, and then you consider your you you choose words to describe your feelings, and then you ask Jesus um, what those feelings remind you of. So you go from the you say there's something that generated a strong emotion or a significant emotion, uh, and then you ask what those emotions are, and then you ask Jesus what's behind it, and and then just reflect on grace. So that feels more likely to work than what we tried. Um, and more like more likely to work for more people than what I suggested earlier, trying to get people to name their feelings, because I think that that is generally a difficult skill that you don't want to place on people. Um, and the idea is that in the body part where we reflect back what they're sharing, that hopefully we get more clarity about how to, how to name things. So I want to go back to the phrase you said, uh, chaotic and uncomfortable. Uh, I felt like the uh, yesterday it was chaotic, but I felt very comfortable. <laughs> so I'm hmm. trying to understand what the discomfort was or the uncomfortable uh, that you were feeling. Well, well, sorry, I, I, I think it's probably the contrived part where you said that it felt like uh, that trying to inject the emotion wheel into the format uh, okay. was felt contrived. That was probably a, the, okay. that, that uncomfortable in the sense of it awkward uh-huh. and contrived. That was the context, yeah. So I, I think I, I sense, uh, at least in the groups, the context where I imagine adapting and trying this, that uh, 
as you said, we're, we, our general experience, what we're comfortable with is coming together and sharing insights and exchanging insights. Um, and that the introduction of feelings is inherently uncomfortable because that's not what we're comfortable with doing. That's not what we're experienced and, and practice. Yeah. Not, not that it's not healthy, but um, that, uh, so the, I guess the question for me in my mind is, how do we encourage and invite uh, without pressing in a way that maybe to go back to your idea or concept of law feels like we're forcing people to do something uh, against their will for their good um, rather than something that they're feeling invited and drawn into exploring and, and experimenting with at whatever level they're and maybe we want to pull or push people out of their comfort zone um, or maybe that's something we leave to the Holy Spirit or I'm not sure where that yeah is. I think so, the, the key word the key word for me there is enrollment okay. if people you know if you tell people to go on a, on a you know 10 mile hike you know they're expecting a certain level of discomfort as part of that if you say yep. you're going to go walk down the block they're actually different like my daughter we went out for lunch uh, and the place we went to was closed so we ended up walking a half mile to another restaurant and she was uh -huh. pretty grumbly about it by the end of it because that was not what she had signed up for right, right? but if i tell okay. her to go out for a two-hour hike she's fine for it so it's like okay so the trick is to or this is a matter of technique i think of framing the invitation such that people have a reasonable idea of what they're going for and then managing the execution so that people uh stay within that envelope of being comfortable with discomfort yeah yeah okay right and and that's the thing where throwing too much at once with too little structure makes people uncomfortable Whereas if right. you can use it gradually, have enough scaffolding, then yeah. as we've discovered, people will do all sorts of things that if you would ask them point blank to do, they would have rejected out of hand. Like when I try to do DBJ type things with groups that haven't signed up for that, like broadcasting online, it's like, whoa, this really freaks me out here. And it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, so it, this is why I felt like I had to do the sharp break between TGR and DBJ, and also the break this summer is to say like, hey, okay, I don't know something I'm comfortable enough doing for seven weeks. Let me figure out how to do some one-offs where people can play with it enough to, so I get, I get some confidence that this actually is something that, uh, you know, will live up to the implied promise and the explicit promises. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's the last thing. It's, I would really like to do a DBJ on September 2nd when my cousin is in the country. Uh, it's a Thursday, uh, so a lot of people can't make it, but you know, I don't care if there's only four or five people there. I just want to try and do something. Um, yeah, sure. Are you up? Are you available for that? Okay. I need to yeah. pick a passage and write up a pitch for that because um, that's only like two weeks away. Um, yeah. No, that's like a week away, isn't it? Is this a cousin who's a believer or not? Yeah. But my cousin who was in the very first uh, uh, TGR, actually, he's actually a, a missionary uh, leader. Oh, he, uh, uh, yeah, so he's had some, you know, sporadic conversations, but we hear yeah. and feel many similar things about the kingdom of God, and I would love to get okay. his uh, take on this. So it's like a week away, so I better, uh, if God wants this to happen, he needs to have the passage and the framing come together pretty quickly. I mean, the passage I was thinking about for this has been the one about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Oh, okay. It's a beautiful passage. Um I have to probably look at it again and see kind of do I think I like the idea of doing like a single shot one chunk passage rather than two or three different things. So there's uh, you know less time on discussing scripture yeah. and more time on uh reflecting and processing. Um so I'll have to wrestle with that and see if that makes sense. Um but I guess the goal is to we're gonna make this happen. I probably should have this up by Thursday, so we'll see if God makes that viable or not. All right. All right. Yeah, we're, Thank you, we're probably, going, probably going to vacation the September 5th to maybe the 18th or 20th. So that period would oh, be, be more difficult. But uh, yeah, so it should be fine. All right. All right. God bless like you, Robbie. Thank you so much. Okay. Yep, I got a one o'clock, so I've got to run. Bye.